Our scripture reading tonight is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Luke 13, 1 through 13. There were present at that season some that told him, Jesus, of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent." ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he, answering, said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And has laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. As far the reading of God's sacred, precious word. We will now make confession with the church of all ages in the form of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In response to Scripture and 
the reading of the Apostles' Creed. Let's sing now from Psalter 239. 239, both stanzas taken from Psalm 87. see God's face in prayer. Let's, let's pray. Beautiful, holy, tender, strong, kind, gracious, sovereign, triune God. As we appear in thy presence for the last service on the last Sabbath of this year, acutely aware that we are one large step nearer in impending eternity. Help us to confess with thy servant Job, when a few years are come, I shall go the way whence I shall not return. For Lord, we know not the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And we know not the moment when the angels shall thrust in their sickle in our own lives and fetch us to the borders of eternity. But we do know 
that life is a vapor that vanishes away. And we pray that this evening thou wilt teach us our frailty, teach us our need of thy preserving hand every moment as we transition into 2024 and humble us that all the numberless diseases and tragedies that could have snuffed out our lives in 2023 did not take place, for it was not thy time, not for any of us, and no one in this congregation. Oh God, may we be humbled with gratitude, but also may we cry out with the psalmist, teach us, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Millions have passed away all around us, Lord. And yet thou hast seen fit to dig and dung about our fig tree one more year. Oh, give to thy people to remember all the way which thou hast led them in the wilderness of this world, also in 2023, and to acknowledge that even when thou hast corrected us, it was simply thy medicine and thy mercies, so that today, even today, thou hast not changed thy beneficent hand toward us, so we are not consumed. Our severest afflictions, Lord, that thou hast sent our way in this year have never been as severe as we have deserved. Thou hast granted us untold blessings. Thou hast continued to bring also this dear flock by the hand of thy dear servant, Reverend Elsout, the means of grace week after week. And the trials of each week have often served to draw us to the delights of the Sabbath in thy house of prayer. Continue to bless our brother's ministry here greatly, Lord. Give him that Abrahamic portion. I will both bless thee and thou wilt be a blessing for years to come. And give that this dear people under the ministry of thy word may often confess of this house of prayer, Lord, it is good for us to be here. O rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Lord, thou art so good, so unexplainably good. To us belong confusion and shame of face. For Lord, Who can understand his errors? Our sins of omission and commission have been numerous and severe at times. How little we have redeemed the time. How little we have reached out to our poor perishing neighbor. How little we have been alive and burning with zeal for thy glory. Oh, gracious God, forgive us. Be merciful to us sinners. And so, Lord, as we cross the threshold tonight into a new year, we we do so with a mixture of emotions, overwhelmed by thy goodness, but also overwhelmed 
that we have not run the race as we ought to have run it. We have not laid aside all sin in this year and looked steadfastly to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Forgive us, Lord. We have sinned far too often. We have been unbelieving far too often. We wish we had worried about ourselves less and waited on Thee more. We wish we had reasoned to ourselves less and prayed to Thee more. We wish, Lord, we had justified ourselves less and repented more and experienced more and communed with Thee more. We wish we had backslidden less and embraced Thee more. O Lord, both Thy record book of memory and our conscience testify that when Thou dost weigh us in the balances, we are found wanting. Lord, have mercy upon us. We can't understand why Thou hast condemned us so little and blessed us so much, despised us so little, yes, not at all, and graced us so much. Truly, Lord, it is astonishing that Thou dost sing over Thy people with joy. For Thou hast borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Lord Jesus. Thou hast interceded continually and loved fully and tendered Thy chastening hand toward us, tailoring our afflictions, giving us coping strength. Oh God, why? Why art Thou so much better to us than we to Thee? Oh Jesus Christ, Thou art the whole answer. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Enfold us in thy shepherding arms, also in 2024. And let us hear thy high priestly beating heart. Pencil upon us the image of thyself. Ripen us for eternal communion. To thee belong all the honor and glory. And O oh God, please remember all those gathered here tonight that do not know Thee savingly, that are missing what life is all about. Use Thy Word tonight to capture them in the gospel net of sovereign grace. Turn them to Thee. Give genuine conversions tonight. It would be bold, Lord, not just one, but several could it be. Yes, each one who does not know Thee, may they hear their name pronounced, as it were, this evening, unfruitful fig tree, and may they cry out as they leave this sanctuary, Lord, make me fruitful in and through Jesus Christ. May they surrender, repent, and truly believe the gospel and give over their lives to him who is the only safe and sure pilot. Oh, be thou to all of us the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night 
as we journey through this wilderness mesec on this perishing earth. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy upon us. And help us tonight to set up an Ebenezer stone and say, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Please bless this flock. Oh, be near to each of them, their families. Bless our children, our grandchildren. Make us undivided families reserved for the heavenly mansions above. Help us to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Help us not to take unforgiven sin into 2024. Cleanse us even this night. Give us a clean slate as we enter a new year. And don't let us go on unsaved, O God. We pray for revival. Revival in our families. Revival in our flocks. Revival in our denominations. In our churches. and Revival in our cities. In our state. In our nation. In our continent. In our, in our world. Lord, fill the earth with the knowledge of thyself. Even from sea to sea. Don't let this nation entirely self-destruct. But, oh God, in wrath, remember mercy. Also for the sake of the remnant who do fear thee and love thee in this land. Restore the years that the locusts have eaten and do valiantly and get a name of glory for thyself afresh in America. And Lord, we pray that this flock may be given open doors for evangelism in this community and further afield. Give them hearts burning with zeal to share the gospel far and wide. Strengthen those with various afflictions in mind and spirit as well as body and be with those who are lonely. Remember the elderly, the widows. We pray for Jack Scholten, Lord, and his parents, Jared and Carrie, as they go to Ann Arbor this week for an ablation procedure on this precious boy. Lord, I pray that it will be eminently successful, that I will do valiantly for Jack, and by extension for Jared and, and Carrie, that all things may, may turn out wonderfully well. Be the heavenly physician behind the earthly one and help the earthly one to do exactly what needs to be done, no more, no less, and to do it well. And let thy benediction rest upon the means. Bless the Providence Christian School, Grace Christian Academy. We give thanks, Lord, for the safety of the students and the consistent sacrificial giving to financially sustain both schools. We pray for every teacher. Please, Lord, graciously bless abundantly in the year to come. And be with the persecuted church around the world. Also, our graduates, our seminary graduates in China, especially one who has just been 
detained by the government. Thank you so much that he was released a week ago. And I pray for all this persecution from the underground, in the underground churches. Have, have mercy upon them, Lord. Bless the seminary, Puritan Reform Seminary. Be with each one of those 400 students here and further afield. And let thy kingdom come in them and through them in the dozens of nations they serve. And Lord, we pray for peace in Israel and Ukraine. And oh, have mercy. Have mercy upon thy ancient people. Draw them back to the Messiah through these troubles and trials and, and do grant them what they need to root out the evil of the enemy that has so sorely afflicted them. But give them wisdom to know what to do, how far to go, what not to do, and sanctify all these ways to the troubled Middle East. But also in Ukraine, Lord, remember thy, thy church there and help them in this fresh barrage of, of uh, weaponry used by Russia against them. Break Mr. Putin's will remove him from his position or bring him to repentance and help him to stop persecuting this nation. Lord, we wait on thee. Help us in preaching now. Be our God, our guide, and our breaker to go before us and our families every step of the way to the celestial city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will sing now, standing, Psalter 247, 247.
Dear church family, life is complicated. We all face a host of inevitabilities. Some we try to postpone, perhaps, though we know we can't ignore them forever. The past due tune-up on a car, the nagging bills that demand payment by deadline dates, the burnt-out bulbs inside rooms in our, ho- in our homes that need replacing, the sibling rivalry among our children or grandchildren that isn't fully yet resolved, the problems at work, tensions in relationships. There's so much that needs to be done. There's so many interfacing complexities to life. Our spiritual relationship with God. But there is one inevitability that you can't postpone. That you must deal with. Not tomorrow. Tonight. December 31. 2023. You don't dare go another day without dealing with it. It's the inevitability that we're going to die and we're going to stand before God and we must be prepared now because as certain as this calendar year as a terminus point about five and a half hours from now. So certain our lives have a terminus point and we will stand before the living God, the judge of heaven and earth. And just as 2023 has fled by us uncomfortably quickly, And the older we get, the more uncomfortably quickly that happens. So, we will stand before God. We will die before we know it. Nehemiah Rogers, a Puritan, said, there's no one so old that doesn't think he has one more year to live. But millions of people died this year who didn't think they were going to die quite yet. In our congregation recently, we had three deaths of relatives. They weren't in our congregation, but a lot of relatives were in the congregation. One 35 years old, one 32 years old, one 26 years old. In two weeks. You don't have to be old to die. You need to be ready to die. Always. Ready to die, said Jesus. So, tonight, as we look back over 2023, and in a sense look forward to the future, 
I want to say to you this. You can rethink 2023, but you can't redo it. Life is not like a movie. You can't be a film editor on your own life and splice performances to construct a seemingly flawless film to present to God. God's memory book contains every detail of your life, every thought that's passed through your mind, every word you've spoken, every action you've taken. You need a Savior because you're a sinner. So am I. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Without Jesus, we can't bear any abiding fruit that is pure and acceptable to God. If God were to judge you for 2023 and me, we would all be in the bottom of hell just for this one year for never-ending eternity because we've all sinned countless times this year. But the question of the sermon tonight is, in terms of the trajectory of your life and my life, is our life bearing fruit to the glory of God? Not when you examine yourself is the question, although that's implied, but when God examines you for 2023, will he find any fruit that is acceptable to him? Well, you see where I'm going. We're going to talk about the parable of the fig tree, verses 6 through 9. And the question of the sermon is, does God find fruit on your tree? And I want to look at four thoughts with you. God's care, God's examination, God's sentence, and God's patience. And we'll be going over each of these four verses in detail, so I won't read that again right now. This parable is Jesus' personal application of verses 1 through 5. He's been already giving two examples. Uh, Reverend Elsow just told me a day or two ago that he's preached recently on these five verses, so this is very appropriate that we're following that up now. But you just heard a sermon recently on this, didn't you, about the Galileans who suffered greatly. And then about those who, on whom the Tower of Siloam fell. And the point that Jesus was making in those examples is that we are all sinners and except we all repent and turn to Him, we will all likewise perish. And so that's why in verse 6, as He transitions into this parable, the word also is there. He spake also this parable, which is to say, here's a third example, but now he's going to put it not in realistic pictures of what actually happened in Galilee and in Siloam, but now he's going to tell a story to illustrate this even more powerfully. 
Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Except you bear fruit, you shall all likewise perish. So this is a practical message for for every one of us. Whether you're a believer, whether you're an unbeliever, we, we need to hear this message. The call to repentance and to faith in Christ, the call to fruit bearing, is a pressing call, an immediate call, a Christ-centered call. Christ is calling for immediate repentance. He's calling for immediate fruit on the tree of our lives. So the parable begins this way. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. In his vineyard, in his vineyard. Not some neglected ground, not by the wayside, not a seedling that had sprung up accidentally in the vineyard, but this fig tree was planted for a special purpose and with special care by its proprietor, that is, its owner. And he planted it for himself that he might enjoy its fruits. And so he gave the fig tree the best possible location in his own vineyard. Scholars tell us that would probably be on the south side to avoid the cold north wind. He would plant it in good soil. He would provide fences around it, good protection. And he'd nurture the tree with skill and with culture and with the care of a capable hired vine dresser. And so the owner of this fig tree, because a fig tree was a delicacy, it was something special. The owner of this fig tree spent a lot of care on this fig tree. He used all his knowledge, all his skills to plant a fig tree that would bear fruit to his joy. Now, What is this all about? Well, historically, of course, the Lord is saying here, as he often did when he was speaking to the Jews around him in that day, that Israel, which includes the Jewish church of his day, was like this fig tree. God is the owner. God is the proprietor. God is the planter. He picked out Israel from among the nations of the world. He planted this nation, as it were, in his own vineyard on a fruitful hill. He gave this Jewish nation his love. He established a covenant of grace with them. He cared for them. He sent them prophets. He gave them the ceremonial laws that pointed to the coming Messiah. He pictured the whole of salvation through the tabernacle and the temple. The Lord has chosen Zion to dwell there and to reveal his grace and glory in Jesus Christ. He favored her with special revelation. He gave her the scriptures like he gave no other nation. The scriptures of Moses and the prophets. He hemmed Israel in by fences of his special care, of his divine preservation. Even in the wilderness for 40 years by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by day and by night. He watched over her with special care. He showered upon this special people precious gospel promises. 
He protected her by special providences. He fed her with the ordinances of grace. He gave her unparalleled opportunities. We read in Psalm 147, he shows his words unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He hath not dealt so with any other nation. Amos 3 verse 2, you only have I known of all the nations of the earth. Year after year after year, like an owner of a fig tree, the living God of Israel pursued Israel, planted Israel, separated Israel from the world, did everything for Israel, and could say to Israel, what more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done in it? That's historically. Practically, transition to your life, to your upbringing, to your presence here tonight. Are we really any different than the Jews with regard to these privileges? What has the Lord done for you in your life? What has he done for you in 2023? Oh, sure, every house has its cross, its cares. We've all encountered afflictions in 2023. But has not the Lord cared for you? Has he not kept you under his hand? Has he not nurtured, digged, and dung about you with his word? Has he not given you every opportunity, every invitation, every offer of grace to come to him to find fruit upon your fig tree from all the blessings he's poured out upon you spiritually and naturally? Did you ever go hungry, boys and girls? One day, were the cupboards ever completely empty? Did you ever suffer from the cold or the heat? Didn't God shower his mercies upon you? 52 Sundays this year. He sent you his word. You young people, teenagers, boys and girls, he sent you his word at school every day. You, you, not 1%. Of teenagers in this entire world, not 1% get to hear the word of God every day in their homes and family worship, get to hear it every day at a Christian school, and get to hear it every week in a Christian church, and get to hear the truth of that word, that, that God saves sinners by sovereign grace. This is very unusual. You have extraordinary privileges, even more than the Jews had, because the Messiah had not yet come. Now you have the whole word of God. Now the cross has passed. You can look back and see everything Jesus has done. The Lord has planted you, my friend, in rich soil. Millions and millions and millions of fellow travelers are born and live and die in this world in the darkness of ignorance, have never heard the word of God, don't have the Bible in their own language, Few in this world hear the lively preaching of the sound truths of the Bible. Surely of us, surely of us of all people, God is saying to us on the last day of this year, except you repent, you shall likewise perish with the Galileans and with those on whom the tower 
of Siloam has fallen. I've spent so much care on you. The Lord says to you tonight. You know, there's never been an age where God has spent so much care on sinners like us than our age. There's never been an age that's had so many resources to explain the Bible. So many good books that we could read for the welfare of our souls. So many means of grace, so available, so accessible. SermonAudio.com, for example, which houses, as you know, the sermons of Reformed ministers. Two million sermons are listened to on that every single month. It's 24 million a year. The books, it's unbelievable. They're being published every day. Every day there's a new sound book published in English. You can't keep up with it. The preaching of the word. The blessing of a Christian school. I would, when I look back in my life, I would have given anything to have a Christian school to go to. I still regret didn't have that opportunity. You have that, young people, children. God has treated you like a fig tree. You are the fig tree. And God is coming now. God is coming now to look for fruit. That's my second point. God's care is number one, but God's examination now is number two. Why did the owner plant the fig tree? Was it just a hobby? Was it just for his visual pleasure? No. It was more than that. He had a special purpose. He wanted to find fruit, the text says. He came and sought, look at verse 6, he came and sought fruit thereon. That's what he wanted. Now, I need to explain a couple things here with you, to you. A fig tree was one of the most fruitful trees in all of nature. Ripe fruit could hang on a fig tree in Israel for 10 months of every year, all but April and May. And after the tree reached maturity in its fifth year, it would start producing really ripe fruit. Before, it was just kind of fruit that wouldn't get ripe. It was an immature tree. So the owner expended much care, and in the fifth year, he was expecting those first figs would be ripened in June, a second crop in August, and a third crop, a little bit less value, in September. But often, it would, the fruit would hang on hang all throughout the winter on the trees as well. Now the tree, not the planter, the tree, having received all this care from the planter, was responsible to bear the fruit, of course, because the tree had been treated properly. The tree had no excuses. After all this love and care was expended not to bear fruit. And see, the whole point of Jesus is, he has come as the Messiah. He has shown himself now. He is the answer for the whole world's need, but also for his own Jewish people. And 
he has every right, just like that tree owner, to expect fruit. To expect the fruits of faith and repentance and holiness and godliness. He has every right to expect that his own people would look to him as the Messiah and find their help and salvation, their all in all, and would spend lives of glorifying him. But the fig tree owner, if he didn't find fruit in year six, uh, year five, he would usually dig and dung it about a second year of expectation, which would be year six. And then, if he still didn't find fruit, if he was quite patient and loving, he would give it one more year, year seven. And, well, then if he didn't find fruit, it was time to cut it down. It was time to cut it down. And so, what was happening here in Jesus' mind, of course, Jesus knows that all the people know this about the fig trees, because fig trees were special and people, people knew about this. The implication here is that the fig tree owner has come in year five and year six. And now, this is year seven. This is year seven. If there's no fruit, he's going to cut it down. And so, verse six ends in these solemn words and found none. None. No fruit. So the fig tree owner is coming to the fig tree, and, you know, fig trees have, have kind of big leaves that drip down, and to find the fruit, you have to lift up the leaf. And the fig tree's lifting up, the owner's lifting up this fig leaf, and that fig leaf, and that fig leaf, and he, he goes around the whole tree, and he can't find a single fruit on any, under any of the leaves. There's just none. What a tragedy. The Lord is walking in the church pews figuratively tonight. And he's asking you, are you bearing any fruit to him? He seeks for fruit in your life. He gazes into your heart. He lifts up all the corridors of your heart, all, all the leaves behind which you try to hide. He's looking for fruit, fruit of righteousness, real fruit that evidences regeneration, distinguishing fruit from the fruit of artificial Christendom and the, and the fruit of the world, sound fruit that it can endure, fruit that gives him glory. He has a right to it. He's planted you in his vineyard. He's granted you many blessings. Doesn't he have a right to expect that you will give him your heart? The fruits of your heart. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. That, that you'll yield holy graces. The fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Doesn't he have a right to expect Fruit from your lips, not just your heart, your lips. The fruit of thanksgiving, that your mouth will be filled with praises to Him, that you'll be speaking to others about Him, that you'll be extolling Him from the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. He's looking for fruit from your lips. And what about fruit from your feet? 
Are you walking in the ways of obedience, out of love to Him? Is He your one goal? Is it your one passion in life to please Him? To walk in His ways? To be servants of righteousness? To bow before Him? And what about your hands? Are they yielding fruits of usefulness to His glory? Are you using your powers, your talents, your gifts in His service for His honor? Where are the fruits? Did you break with sin? Did you cut off the, the right arm, as it were, that offended him and pluck out the right eye, not literally, but figuratively? Did you deny yourself, take up the cross and follow him in 2023? Was there a breaking with sin? Was there a contriteness of spirit? Was there a choosing of him and his service over the world? Was there prayer work, earnest prayer work, seeking his face in the inner chamber? Was there the true fear of God? Did it seem God of greater value than anything of you? He's looking for fruit. He's lifting up your leaves right now. Maybe you had some impressions this year. Maybe you had some convictions. But is there ripe fruit? Fruit that's edible. Fruit that he seeks. That glorifies him. And found none. None. None, Lord. Nothing that I have produced has borne fruit. If you're unsaved, my friend, you may have fruits of common grace. You may be a nice person. But you've never loved God for one second this whole year above all. You've never loved your neighbor as yourself. You've always put yourself first in your heart. You've never not sinned for a single second. You realize that? Oh, no, I'm not talking about actual sins. I'm talking about sins of omission, things you, do, you didn't do that you should have done. I'm talking about sins of the heart, of motivation. Fruit, ripe fruit that he looks for is pure fruit. And by nature, we never do anything purely. So as we leave this year, tonight, if God examines you, Can you say, if you're not saved, can you say tonight, Lord, this is true. This is true. There's no fruit for me. In fact, maybe you've never even spoken to anyone about the value of Jesus this whole year because he's not valuable to you. He's not your number one in life. Just no fruit. You know, this is exactly what happened to me when I was 15 years old. This very parable condemned me. I saw that a single moment in my entire life had I lived for the glory of God. I was completely fruitless. Despite everything the Lord had poured upon me of the means of grace. Oh, my friend, you young people, you can have everything going for you in your life. You can be the most popular person at school. You can be handsome or beautiful. You can be a straight-A student. 
You could have a bright future in terms of some career you want to go into. I mean, you could have anything that any peer would, would wish for from a secular viewpoint if you don't have Jesus Christ. You've got nothing. Nothing but sin. You've got no fruit. Spurgeon once said, if we don't have Christ, all we've got is a coffin on our back and we will soon have grave dust in our mouths. Our life is empty. We're going to, if you die that way, Everything, all the, all the work that this God has done in planting you as a fig tree, it's all in vain. And, and the worst way to die, as J.C. Ryle said, is the way past an open Bible and under the means of grace and having rejected the one way of salvation, the one true joy in life, to live to the glory of God. What is the purpose of man? It's to glorify God. That's why He made you. To glorify God and to enjoy Him. And when you don't glorify Him and you don't enjoy Him, you're missing what life is all about. There is no fruit. And to whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. You understand now why this is a very serious text. A very, very serious text. But that leads me to my third point, God's sentence, God's sentence. Verse 7, then said he, the owner of the tree, to the dresser of his vineyard, behold, these three years, that's year five, six, and seven, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, vine dresser. Why cumbereth it the ground? Oh, these are awful words. They're deserved words, but they're solemn words. The owner has been long-suffering. He came year five. He came year six. He came year seven. But there's no fruit. Cut it down. That's what a fig tree owner would do. Because it's just cumbering the ground. What does that mean to cumber the ground? Well, it means four things. It means, first of all, it's unfruitful. It's of no service. God has made you, planted you, kept you, brought you thousands of messages, calling you from sin, but he's received nothing back. There's no sign of faith in him. There's no sign of repentance before him. Cut it down. Throw it into the fire. It's hopeless. This tree's bearing no fruit. But secondly, it's useless. It's, a, it's an expensive tree. God spent a lot of effort on you, my friend. He's given you, many of you, God-fearing parents since childhood. He's given you a Christian education. He's repeatedly warned you, even from this pulpit. He's invited you. He's allured you, sometimes affectionately, sometimes warningly, sometimes just preaching the fullness of Jesus and how wonderful He is. And you've rejected all His invitations. And you're still living for yourself and not for Him. This is expensive. So much effort and no fruit. And thirdly, you cumber the ground not only because you're unfruitful and you're expensive, but you're wasteful. 
You're taking space where a fruit tree bearing tree could be planted. You're drawing from the soil moisture and minerals that other trees could use and be fruitful. And worst of all, perhaps your disease of, con- of fruitlessness is contagious. Maybe contagious to your brothers and sisters. Maybe your example makes them think that they too can get through life somehow without Jesus. Or in the church, among your peers at school, or in your workplace. How dishonoring to God to have God pour all this effort into you to be a fruitful fig tree and you bear no fruit. So God is saying, what's the use of sparing this fig tree? I've tried sparing it. Year five, year six, year seven. What's left but to cut it down? Why has God spared you in 2023? For one purpose, to bring fruit. To glorify him. He hasn't spared you because you deserve to be spared. Actually, none of us deserve to be spared. He hasn't spared you because he's insensitive to your sins. He hasn't spared you because he's unable to destroy you. His quiver of judgment is full of sharp arrows. He could say of you and me tonight, this night thy soul shall be required of you. He's long-suffering. He's long-suffering. You see, in Israel, a fig tree is regarded as so valuable that sometimes a fig tree owner would, even if there was just a little bit of fruit, he just wouldn't cut it down. He'd say, well, I hope a little more fruit next year, but even for a little bit of fruit, I will, I will spare this fig tree. So my question to you tonight is, does God not have the right to cut you down and to say, this is it? My patience is not to be mocked. Last year, you said in your prayers to me, you're going to bring fruit this year. You're going to seek the Lord this year. But what came of it? You're going to repent this year, but what came of it? You haven't taken up the cross and followed Christ. You've been barren. Barrenness is a dreadful thing. Barrenness exposes us to the open curse of God. Barrenness exposes us to eventually losing the gospel altogether and the means of grace and being cut out from the kingdom of God. But God is long-suffering. That's my forethought, God's patience. This is amazing. Look at verse 8 and 9. And he, this is the vine dresser, answered him, that is the fig tree owner, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then thou, after that thou shalt cut it down. Give it year eight, Lord. Give it one more year, the vine dresser says. 
Now, we, we, can't impress, we can't press this analogy too far here because this is a parable. But you see, what we can say is that in this, in this parable, the owner of the tree, of course, is God the Father. He's, he's, he's the one that chose from all eternity to put special treatment upon the Jews. But the vine dresser is, of course, his son who spends all this effort, even suffering, going to suffer for them and die for them, for, for his people. And the vine dresser is saying to the father, not as if the father's more reluctant than the son. We can't go down that road because the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit are equally willing to save sinners. But the vine dresser here says, I intercede. I intercede for them, Father. Please, please give them one more year. One more year. Matthew Henry says of this verse, had it not been for Christ's intercession, the whole world would have long ago been cut down. You see, Christ intercedes. He's an intercessory vine dresser. He doesn't ask the sentence to be nullified. He knows it's deserved, but he asks for its postponement. He says, I will dig about it one more year. I will dung about it one more year. If you're unsaved tonight, God is, it seems apparent, unless something happens before midnight, God is going to let you cross over into 2024. Even though you've been fruitless all your life until now, he's going to give you some more time. That's his grace. He's going to dig about you. He's going to send you more sermons. He's going to give you his word every day to read. He's going to offer grace to you. He's going to, he's going to dig about you with the law. He's going to fertilize you with the gospel. Yet again. One more year. One more year doesn't necessarily mean a literal year. It means a space of time. Could be half a year. Could be a week. Could be a month. But God's not done with you. God's not done with you. You're alive. You've got a mind to listen. You can hear the word of God. God's calling you, though, tonight to bend the knee, to repent, to go home after this sermon and close your bedroom door and get down at your bed and say, Lord, I can't go on this way. I must be saved and thou art more willing to save me than I am to be saved. Help me. Give me the grace, Spirit of God, to surrender my life to thee now. Save me or I perish. Don't let me be a fruitless fig tree, Lord. Intervene. Become too strong for me. Conquer me. Win me over. This is God's patience. And the owner agrees. Oh, the patience of God. The patience of God. Micah 7 verse 18 says, He delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. He's going to spare you again. He's bringing you the gospel this morning. He's bringing you the gospel through the wise men. He's bringing you the gospel tonight through the fig tree. He calls to you to repent. And what then? Well, if by the grace of God you, you bear fruit. You notice what it says in verse 9. 
It says, well. You see that? Verse 9, if it bear fruit, well. But you notice that the word well is in italics. That means it's not there in the original. It's just used to complete the thought. Actually, in the original Greek, it just says, and if it bear fruit, dot, dot, dot. Why? Why didn't they finish it? Well, because you're the fig tree. Because I'm the fig tree. And we don't know the ending of this story. We don't even know if this fig tree was cut down or not. Because we are the fig tree. And the fruit has yet to come in. But if we do bear fruit, the insertion of the word is good, because if we do bear fruit, it shall be well. But if not, after that, verse 9 says, thou shalt cut it down. There comes a time when God will will cut cut us away, when God will say, my patience is at an end. I've given you years. I've given you thousands and thousands of sermons. I've given you solemn warnings, solemn opportunities, joyful invitations, warm allurements. And I'm done. What shall it be for you to meet God unprepared on the day of judgment with all the effort he has put into your fig tree. What shall it be? You won't be able to answer one question out of a thousand. Not one. My unconverted friend, I'm speaking to you in love. I hope you feel that. I've got three questions I want to ask you. The first is this. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? Why do you think you're here? On planet Earth. To bear fruit for yourself? Or to bear fruit for God? Can't be both. Your supreme drive in life needs to be to live for the glory of God. It's the only way to live. It's why God made you. It's why he made you. So you fail in that, you fail in all. When I was 13 years old, I I worked for my dad for a summer, a couple summers actually, but that was the first summer as a carpenter. And the first day on the job, he put out some nails and a hammer and a saw and some boards. And he said to me, son, he said, when you work for me now, he said, don't ever take a hammer and try to saw the board and don't ever take the saw and try to nail home a nail. And I said, well, dad, I I know that much. He goes, but do you know why I'm telling you this? I go, no. He says, you see, God made you for one purpose to live for him and for his glory. And every day you go on without living for his glory, it's like you're trying to take a saw and nail home a nail. Or you're trying to take a hammer and saw a board. It just won't work. 
Because that's not why he made you. It's not why a hammer was made. It's not why the saw was made. So that's one question I want you to take home with you and think about it. What is the purpose of my life? And am I living according to that purpose? Question number two is this. If you're living for fruit for yourself, since you bear no fruit, may I ask you this, for your planter, your owner, your creator, your vine dresser, is it not only reasonable that God should let you go and cut you down because you're not serving the purpose for why he made you? And that leads to question three, the most solemn of all. If God should cut you down and let you go, who will take you up? Your master Satan won't. He'll be suffering in hell. Unable even to do anything for you. Nor would he desire because he hates you. Because you're created in the image of God. Who will take you up? Who will stand up for you? No parent will. No brother or sister will. Everyone will be totally alone in hell in their own pain. Do you understand how critical it is to live for the purpose for which God made you and to bear fruit to his glory by his grace? You see, on the judgment day, We'll be saved by grace alone. But on the judgment day, God will be lifting up the leaves of our tree and looking for fruit. Those who are fruitless on the judgment day will, will be condemned forever. You shall be judged by your works, the Bible says. Five times. Every man. Now, by the grace of God, and only by the grace of God, a believer, a believer can say, Lord, I... Oh, there's so little fruit on my tree. I, I grieve over it. But I cannot deny that I do love thee. I do live, not as much as I wish, but I do live for thy glory. I do long for thy glory in me and in others. And I cannot hold back from telling others how wonderful thou art to be served and thou art a, a beautiful God. And You see, those people will not perish because they find their hope and salvation outside of themselves in Christ. And when you find your hope in Christ and that hope becomes precious to you, you cannot but bear fruit. Jesus said, those who know him, by their fruits, ye shall know them. You can't possibly be born again, boys and girls, and love the Lord Jesus Christ and love God the Father and love the Holy Spirit and not bring forth any fruit. By their fruits, ye shall know them. And so all of a sudden the parable ends. We don't know. We don't know what happens. Will it be a fruitful tree? The story is unfinished. Because the story is you. Are you ready? Boys and girls, are you ready to meet God? Teenagers, are you ready to meet God? Parents, grandparents, are you ready 
to meet God. I read a study recently that some psychologist said he did a study of what people worry about. He said 85% of things that people worry about never happen. They spend their energy about a lot of things that will never happen. But the one thing that will happen to us all, we will all die and we will all stand before God. Very few people do anything about or are really concerned about. The inevitable will happen. And we need to be, by God's grace, fruit-bearing fig trees that are wrought upon by the Holy Spirit and have a love for the glory of God here in this life. If we're going to be able to stand before God on the judgment day, As surely as this year ends, your life will soon end, and always sooner than you think. Are you ready now? And if not, repent. Surrender the totality of your life to this God. Say, Lord, be merciful. To me, a sinner. If I perish, I perish, but I will perish at thy feet. Take me, Lord. Take my heart. Take my hands. Take my feet. Take my mind. Take my soul. And let it be wholly consecrated to thee, to bear fruit to thy glory, so that I may live ultimately for the purpose for which I have been put on planet Earth.